0: Well, if it hadn't been said, Happy Easter, everybody. Okay, we'll take that. Well, thank you so much for being here, and I want y'all to just give a shout-out. There's a bunch of folks, not a bunch, but a good number of people that are over in the gym in our other venue making room for all of y'all, but y'all, they can't hear you. But just clap for them, and, and I'll tell them that you clap for them. And if you see them later, thank them for taking one for the team and I just preached a sermon over there and ran over here, and that one wasn't that good. I'll try to sharpen it up a little bit. Uh, they were the guinea pigs. We'll see if we can do better this time around. Do you ever wonder you ever wonder how Easter, the date of Easter, is established? I know you have. You've just been afraid to ask, right? Or hadn't Googled it, just been too, too afraid to ask, too lazy to Google. How about that? But you get Christmas, right? Everybody gets Christmas December 25th every single year. Every year you've been alive, when when is Christmas? December 25th. By the way, my mom's here today. Happy Easter to my mother, huh? (laughs) Blame her for most of what's wrong with me. The last time she was here was our Christmas Eve service. She only goes to church on Christmas and Easter. (laughs) You know I'm kidding. I have to say that because she'd be mad at me at Easter dinner. But we get Christmas December 25th every year. But do you know that Easter can fall uh, each and every year? It can fall from anywhere from March 22nd to April 25th. You know that? And have you ever wondered why? In the year 325 A.D., after our Lord, there was a council of Nicaea, and they established that Easter would be, according to the Georgian calendar, it would be the first Sunday after the first full moon occurring on or after the vernal equinox. There you go. One gentleman said, yeah. So now the questions have come, what's the vernal equinox? What's the deal with the Georgian calendar? What about the Council of Nicaea? There's a lot of questions. Do your own work, okay? we got to get into a sermon. But that's how Easter is determined. And a lot of people, let me just say this, I think everybody, we want to believe in Easter, don't we? we? We really do. There's just something in us. If you come to Founder Church, if you're a member here or you're a good friend of mine, you know often I cite Ecclesiastes 3.11. God has said eternity in our hearts. There's just something in you. There's something in us all where we want to believe. a a gnawing suspicion, this sneaky idea, and it just won't let us go. It's inescapable and unavoidable and inevitable. We just find ourselves thinking about transcendent, important, eternal things. We want these virtues, the greatest virtues of faith, hope, and love. We want resurrection power in our lives. We want to look to a world beyond. We want a God to oversee us and to at times reverse what seems to be the irreversible. This morning, I want you to turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 11. In a moment, we're gonna put the verses up. John chapter 11, we're gonna look at a few verses in the context of a bigger story. And since it's Easter and you wanna get out on time, I won't have us read John 11, one through 44, but I'll make reference to the narrative and we'll highlight a few key passages. Today, we're gonna begin a new sermon series called The Questions of Jesus. Have you ever thought about the power of questions? Let me ask you this. Do you know anybody that's really relational? They're warm and friendly and inviting. You just like to be around them. They're good with people. You know anybody like that? Maybe you're that person. Um, Ask the person next to you, am I that person? And don't be hurt when you hear their response. But if you know someone like that, examine them in your mind. I mean, just think for a second in their mind. I bet you that person's really good with questions. I bet you they're good question askers. I bet they ask a question, and unlike me, they actually take time and listen to your response. I'm learning, I'm learning, right? I'm learning. Jesus, we looked at last week, the rabbi. We looked at John chapter 1 with Philip, already a follower of Jesus, saying to Nathaniel, come see a man, and the woman at the well, caught in a long list of sexual liaisons, did not find his judgment or condemnation. She found him being real about her life, knowing about her life, and she left saying, she left the well, went into the village and said to the people there, even to the men, this Samaritan woman said, come see a man who knows all about me. In John 7, the religious leaders of the day were like, this guy hadn't gone to school and he knows so much. Some of you go to school and you don't know much, right? That's where you're not like Jesus. But Jesus didn't go to school, it seemed, but he knew so much. He was, it was his humanity and his divinity, I get that, but he was a good question asker. And over these next several weeks, we're going to look at some of the questions. He asked hundreds of questions. We're going to look at seven that we pinpoint, that we've picked out, Uh, And our teaching team is going to walk through this as we look at some questions, I believe, that penetrate your heart, that probe your deepest motives, and I think can be a very powerful series for us. And today we're going to look at a question that Jesus asked in this passage in John chapter 11. Let's look at the verses. I think we're looking at John 11, 25 to 26. Jesus said to her, Her is Martha her sister Mary. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Here's the question. Say it out loud, church. Do you believe this? Read it like it's a question. Do you believe this? Here's the setting. It's in a place called Bethany. It's in Israel, close to Jerusalem, in this village called Bethany, across the Kidron Valley, near the Mount of Olives. In other words, I'm saying all that, not just to drop some geography on you, but to let you know it was a place that Jesus traveled. And these were Mary, Martha, the sisters, and the brother, brother Lazarus. These were dear friends of Jesus. As a side note, I know there are some aspiring leaders in the room, some young people I want to talk to, so I just want to drop this on you for a little bit. But I talked to a pastor uh, not too long ago, and the pastor said to me, you know, Robert, we were talking about church stuff. And he said, I don't have any friends in my church. I've learned that's not a good idea. If you get close and get friendly with your church members, it could come back and bite you. It's just going to hurt you. It's just going to wreak havoc on your life emotionally. Now, can I just say that grieves me? Now, I'm not God and don't claim to speak on all matters of God but can I just say I think that grieves the heart of God could you imagine Jesus merely having a professional relationship with his disciples Jesus cultivated friendships I pray not that we are just a friendly church I hope someone said hello to you when you walked in I hope if you come back they'll keep saying hello to you each and every time and if you're willing we'll we'll learn your name but I want us to be a church of deep and abiding friendships and Jesus was a friend and Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus was among his closest friends they had a place their place was a place of hospitality when Jesus the homeless man would stop in and he loves it and it's very important for you to understand in the context of this message today this Easter message of the resurrection is that Jesus cared deeply for the, these people these were his friends and in John 11 I don't know if we can put it back up again but in John chapter 11 Jesus makes a claim, and he asks a question. What's the claim? Say that out loud, would you? I am the resurrection. You've already read the question out loud, but the claim is I am the resurrection. If You've heard me teach, if you were here last week, you know that it's one of seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the gospel of John alone. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the the vine. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here in John 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And to his claim, he adds a question. Do you believe this? And I asked you that question this morning. Do you believe this? I was riding around in my truck last night, and I heard that new country song. I think it's new. It's entitled, Real Men Love Jesus. And I, you know, I did the best I could. My wife knows I don't, I don't need to know the words to sing. I just turned it up and did the best I could and got to the chorus. Real men, you know, Josh, real men love Jesus. It says they drink beer and do a lot of things in there. But anyway, uh, real men love Jesus. I'm down with it. And um, always stay on your manuscript. But as I'm, I'm listening to this song, the, the, the DJ is over, the DJ is just thinking of a sort of an intelligent segue and he goes, that's right, real men love Jesus. He was already starting the next song. and He goes, and they'll all be in church tomorrow on Easter Sunday. And I thought, you know, that's us, isn't it? We, uh, church attendance is great, y'all come back. But we sort of think, that's how you know if we love Jesus. That's how you know if we believe. By going somewhere or doing something. But let's, Get a little deeper this morning. I won't keep you long, but I want you to consider this reality. When Jesus asks us, do you believe, he knows your heart. Do you believe this? Now, we spend an awful lot of our time, don't act like you don't, we spend an awful lot of our time managing our image, don't we? Being concerned about our reputation. Could you imagine that? Religious people being worried about that? And so we focus on the external trappings, but Jesus knows your heart. So when Jesus asks you a question, do you believe this? He knows. So let me just say, as we get deeper, let me get down on your level because even though I'm standing here, in fact, let me just stand here to illustrate this point. But we, can y'all still see my shiny bald head? We all have doubts. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? We all have doubts. Now, help me. Just nod your head if you believe that. You're in church on Easter Sunday. Just nod your head if if you think, you know I'm about to prove it right, so you better nod your head, right? I'm going to be persuasive. This is law and order, man. I'm bringing, I'm marshaling the evidence, okay? We all have doubts. And here's what I want to say. Man, I'm not up there looking down on anybody. I have doubts, and so do you. To be human is to have questions, concerns, issues, uh, uncertainties, hesitancies, and doubts. Maybe today you question if God has forgiven you. I better get back up here. Maybe today you question if God has forgiven you. Or you wonder whether the Bible is true. Maybe you just have trouble reconciling this, this suffering world with a loving God. To be human is to doubt. What brings me great comfort is the great saints of the Bible. God doesn't hide their doubts from us. Consider, let's, let's veer out a little bit from John 11. To Matthew 11 don't turn there just listen for a second but you guys know John the Baptist right I was watching John that I didn't mean to but I was trying to fall asleep last night and had on CNN Susan always likes to watch King of Queens but I turned to CNN and had that Jesus show on it was a show about Jesus I'm like man it's Easter Eve let's watch Jesus and there was the, when, when I tuned in trying to fall asleep there was the segment on John the Baptist what do you guys know about John the Baptist he was an outdoor kind of guy. If he lived in Jackson, he would be in and He would be over at Sneaky Beans on the, on the patio, right, drinking black coffee, no milk or sugar or cream, just black coffee. I saw someone post on Twitter uh, this week. They said, if the makers of trail mix realized, if they learned that I rarely eat trail mix on a trail, would they be disappointed? <laughs> Can I tell you, John the Baptist ate trail mix on the trail. I mean, he actually ate locusts and wild honey. He was an outdoor bruiser kind of man's man. He was a real man that was learning to love Jesus. And John the Baptist was the one who preached, prepare the way of the Lord. Jesus came and he said the kingdom, we looked at it last week, I put it on a board, the kingdom of God is at hand. And John the Baptist was the trailblazer, the one who was saying, hey, here he comes, one greater than I. John 3.30, I must decrease so that he will increase. And Jesus, or rather John the Baptist, was the first one to identify Jesus as the Messiah. In one of the fa- my favorite utterances in all the Bible, John the Baptist says, look, the Lamb of God, do you know this? Who takes away the sin of the world. Later, I think because he was the first, because he prepared the way of the Lord, because he identified the first to identify Jesus as the Messiah, he got to baptize Jesus. And some of you know this account. When he baptized Jesus, the heavens opened up. The Holy Spirit descended like a dove and the heavenly father spoke these words. This is my son who I love in whom I am well pleased. Dads, good advice there. When your boys are young, when your kids are young, tell them you love them and tell them in them you are well pleased there's john the baptist it'd be pretty cool to be john the baptist the beer the sandals the trail mix but what we learn in matthew 11 i mentioned a minute ago and forgot about it but matthew 11 it says that john the baptist is in prison i don't know if he knows yet that his head's going to be put on a platter but in prison john begins to doubt john the baptist He teaches us three things that I want to submit to you this morning that are important if you doubt because we're asking you the question, do you believe this? Jesus makes the claim, I'm the resurrection of life. Then he asks the question, do you believe this? Hey, all you doubters, I am among you. I want to ask you to do three things that aren't just points in a sermon on Easter but are things that are true in my own life. The first thing that you should do when you doubt is express your doubts honestly. There's a line in Scripture where man's about to be healed, and he says to Jesus, Lord, I believe, you know this, Lord, I believe, but what? Help my unbelief. Church ought to be a place where we can do that first one for sure, where we can express our doubts honestly. In fact, there's a a New Testament letter. It's an epistle letter at the end of the Bible, close to the end. It's called Jude. You probably never read it, have you? Act like you have. It's just one chapter, and it says in verse 22, it tells church leaders that be people like me and a lot of you, it says church leaders ought to show mercy to those who doubt, And do you know why? Because we all doubt. That's why we show mercy. We receive mercy and we show mercy because we all need to be able to do this, to be merciful to each other. Now listen to me. This is not a green light to move deeper into skepticism or cynicism. Some of you hear me say from this platform and one-on-one times, it's tough to be my age because I look at my peers, everybody that's made it to midlife and beyond, and it's it's just tough to see somebody who's not angry, bitter, or cynical. Do you believe this? Jesus wants you to cultivate a softer heart. Your arteries are gonna grow harder as you age, but your heart can grow softer and you really can become a person of more and more faith. Jesus wants to take your mustard seed faith and grow it. Do you believe this? Learn to express your doubts honestly. Second, seek answers earnestly. A little boy asked his dad, Daddy, why do boats float? The dad said, I don't know said, hey, Dad, why do planes fly? Dad, I don't know. How do do birds fly? I I don't know, the dad said. Why do dogs hate cats, Dad? Dad says, I don't know. He says, Dad, do you you mind me asking you all these questions? The dad says, of course not. How else are you going to (laughs) learn? Seek answers earnestly. And I I love what John the Baptist did. It's recorded for for us in Matthew chapter 11, verse 3. Now listen, the same guy who said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world got himself in prison in really bad personal circumstances. And don't you know, the doubts grow in bad personal circumstances. Believe that? And then over here, John the Baptist, the same guy that said that in the midst of his bad personal circumstances said, are you the one or should we look for another? Seek answers earnestly. If you later read Matthew 11, we'll get back to John 11, but if you re- la- later read Matthew 11, you'll see Jesus gives a response and his response is so Jesus-like. He says, tell, tell JB, tell him what you've seen and heard. What's he saying? What's he referring to? Do you know this Matthew 11 for? Tell him, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. Jesus is saying the proof is in the pudding. I want to say to you that some of us think today is a metaphor, this resurrection thing, and we're very creative. We do a lot of mental and theological calisthenics and gymnastics to talk about the resurrection. And that's all fine and well, okay? Any, any way that the resurrection can help your life and bless your life, I'm all for it. But let me just say, I'm standing here today as one who's expressed my doubts honestly, and I continue to, who seeks answers earnestly, who examines the evidence critically, who looks at the life of Jesus. And I, listen, what I wanna tell you, and I love to talk about it, I relish the opportunity to talk about it with anyone, even a critic, is you see a dead body, an empty tomb, a crowd of witnesses, and lives that are changed. And you see a new community. It's why my job and this church is so vital. And that church and that church and any church. If you're visiting today from another church, your church that you are visiting from. Because we are to be a new community that walks out the newness of life that demonstrates an ever-growing faith. It's a faith community that can do the following, express our doubts honestly, seek answers earnestly, and examine the evidence critically. In John 11, Lazarus, the brother, Jesus learned that he's taken ill. If you have an open Bible, I don't have this on the screen, but if you have an open Bible, John chapter 11, look at verse 6. I want everybody to look down if you have it. John chapter 11, verse 6, okay? And I'm going to kind of loosely paraphrase John 11:6. 6. You ready? Jesus learned, when Jesus learned that his friend Lazarus had taken ill, he dropped whatever was in front of him and he rushed to Bethany and he immediately healed him. Is that what you see? Is that in front of you? Y'all answer loud for the people who don't have an open Bible, right? That's not what you see at all, is it? In fact, what you see could be very problematic. It says, Jesus, in learning that his friend Lazarus had taken ill, what did he do? He hung around for a couple of days. You ready? Two words. God waited. Don't you hate that? In fact, again, I always say Jesus defies conventional categories. Jesus doesn't just wait when he learns that his friend is ill. When he got there, you you know what he said? He's like, hey, I could have been here, but I waited. Woody Allen says 80% of life is just showing up, right? Some of you know that's what you do. To school and work, you just show up, right? Just show up. But a lot of life is just showing up. It's bad when you don't show up. It's bad when you're a leader and you don't show up. I told some of you years and years ago, about 11 years ago, uh, I, I, I didn't show up for baptism, wasn't even in the church building. It's hard to come around someone and apologize for not being there for their baptism when you were the pastor who was supposed to be baptizing them. That's pretty tough. I, you know, I wanted to go crawl in a hole and hide. I do a bunch of weddings, and one time I had to rush. I realized, Ooh, there's a wedding. This was years ago, none, nobody in the room. And I was like, oh, I got to get to this wedding. And man, I had the adrenaline of Speedy Gonzalez. I, I changed, like, changed clothes like Superman, and I drove like NASCAR Sprint Cup Series, and I got there just in the nick of time. Could you imagine me pulling to Jesus in John 11 and saying, yeah, I could have been here. (laughs) But I waited. (laughs) How would that go over with the bride? How would that go over with the bride's mother? (sighs) We need special effects up here, right? Red coming out of my eyes. People ought to show up. You need to show up. A big part of life is showing up. It's being there. I read one the other day. The trouble with punctuality is nobody's there to appreciate it. Show up, be on time, be early, be there. If you're a leader, you better be there. Learn from me, be there. That's how you love people and build trust. Why did Jesus wait? Let me just talk about this seriously though uh, and and just touch on some science here. There's a second law of thermodynamics. It's something um, called entropy. It's not so fancy of a word. And entropy just... uh, Related to the second law of thermodynamics, basically stated simply is that everything in the universe, everything in the universe is left to its own devices. It leads toward dis- disorder and decay. Let's state that even more simply milk spoils, food rots, cars rust, human bodies decay and die. And the only way to prevent the law of entropy is to counteract it with an outside energy source. There's a technical term for that. It's called negentropy. Negentropy. just think of a refrigerator. Think of an outside source providing power and the cool air produces fresh food over time. If you've gone out of town on vacation somewhere, the power went out for whatever reason and you come back and the power's still out or it was just out a long time, it what? Stinks. Do you know that That's what the sisters said about their brother, Lazarus. The King James says, behold, he stinketh. That's just the second law of thermodynamics, specifically the law of entropy. And here's what Jesus does. Jesus shows up, not on their timetable, but on his, because God waited. And when he shows up, he reverses four days of entropy with one moment, one miracle of nigentropy. You see, Jesus had already demonstrated his healing power. He had turned water into wine. Thank you, Lord. He had reversed withered hands and weather systems. I was praying for a reversal of weather system today that it would not rain on Easter. <laughs> they had seen his healing power. But God shows up and he says, I'm gonna show you my resurrection power. Personal circumstances are bad. Maybe you're there where it just seems like What's happened to you cannot be undone. I mean, there are irreversible laws in life, right? You can't, you can't uncut your hair. Mom, remember that time when I was 10 years old and I got that really bad haircut and I came home crying. This is when I had hair and I appreciated hair and I thought others appreciated my hair and it was such a bad haircut. What did I, I asked to just to be deported to an aunt and uncle's home in Alabama. I went to stay with them for 10 days or something. I just got to get out. You can't uncut hair. You can't undelete a document. You can't unrun that red light. Some laws are irreversible. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to show you that I can display irreversibility over what you think is irreversible. Jesus wants to demonstrate to us his resurrection power. Church, I'm saying to you on this Resurrection Sunday when Jesus makes a claim I'm the resurrection of the life, I want you to ask the question, do I believe this? Examine your doubts honestly. Earnestly seek answers. Examine the evidence critically. But I want to say because some of you are in bad personal circumstances, I want to give you quickly three reasons I believe that God waits. The first is his emotions are identified. His emotions are identified. Let me just say them. His emotions are identified. God is glorified and your faith is fortified. John eleven thirty five, 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, but it speaks volumes and the English language doesn't do it justice. It says what? Jesus wept. And people talk endlessly, why did he weep? And I'm looking at a dear brother and a couple of good friends who've lost someone special to them in the past year. And let me tell you, we weep. It hurts like nothing else to lose someone that you love and when you're waiting and when you're hurting the savior wants to identify with you emotionally. Do you know there are things I hate, things that make me sad and I just there are things I hate. I hate war, I hate violence. I hate the bachelor. I hate trafficking. <laughs> I hate families that are fighting and marriages that are going sour. There are things that I hate, but you know what God hates them more. There are things that make me sad and it grieves the heart of God. The Greek verb shows a force that the English language doesn't. John eleven thirty-five, he wept. John eleven thirty three, he was moved. John eleven thirty eight, he was moved deeply. Jesus wanted to identify with them in this hard period of waiting. And secondly, he wanted God to be glorified. Look at verse four, he says that. God's gonna be glorified. Can I just say it's the chief end of man. Got any Presbyterians in the house? The Westminster Confession of Faith, just showing you some love to our PCA crowd. The chief end of man is what? To enjoy God and to glorify him forever. Now do the opposite, live for your glory. Go live for your glory. Make everything about you. You won't be a good question asker, you'll just be making comments and giving commands, right? Make everything about you live for your own glory and see where that gets you. Or pour your life out sacrificially like this new community of Jesus followers and live according to God's glory. And that's why he waited. And I want to say today, if you're waiting on God, he wants emotions to be identified with you He wants him to be glorified, himself to be glorified. And he wants your faith to be fortified. If you look at verse 14 and 15, Jesus says, I waited so that your faith would grow. So that your faith would grow. Do you believe this? At Fondren Church, we would love to talk to anybody who wants to express their doubts honestly, seek answers earnestly, and examine evidence critically. But there was a dead body, an empty tomb, a crowd of witnesses, and a new community. And do you know the new community? You know the thing about the new community? They became, listen, church, they became a radically inclusive community where walls were torn down between Jew and Greek, male and female, slave and free, rich and poor, and they began to live sacrificially. They didn't care about property or possessions, about the vocations or reputations. They gave of their lives sacrificially. Do you believe this? Would you pray with me?